Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. On this show, we do news and we talk about social movements and community organizing across the Twin Cities. I want to thank Manny Mestas for our show's opening and closing theme music and give you a rundown of what's coming today. We're going to start with an interview with Libby, a youth organizer helping to co-organize a climate justice sit-in on the steps of the Minnesota State Capitol on September 24th. We'll also hear from Nick Kaur, an organizer with the Coalition of Asian American Leaders of Minnesota, and Denise Specht, President of Education Minnesota. We're going to jump right in with Libby. I'm Libby. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a youth leader at Ya yeah Network, uh, which is a youth-led organization under Climate Generation. Um, I have been a part of this organization for almost a year and have got to do a lot of cool things with them so far. And it's been really cool to work with other youth in trying to get more climate education and climate justice out there. Next week, you have an action on the 24th, a sit-in at the state capitol. Why don't, what is that, what can people expect, and what, what is that event? Yeah, so we are planning a sit-in um, with a lot of kind of teach-in aspects. Um, Fridays for Future is another organization that strikes every Friday, and they are hosting a global strike on the 24th. So the sit-in in Minneapolis is just our participation in that global strike. Um, we are doing a sit-in trying to get people who come involved in the movement and getting a lot of people connected with organizations and just kind of more aware of a lot of cool stuff that's going on. We also have a list of demands and actions that we'll be working on on that day specifically and also in the future because we really don't want this to be like a one-time thing. The big goal is to get people involved and uh, into the getting into the movement a little bit more. And if people have been looking for that opportunity, we're really hoping that this can be a chance um, for that to happen. And I know that you have a message for legislators um, and Congress people next week when you are at that sit-in. What's your message? What do you want them to know? Yeah, so our message is, well, we have specific bills that kind of um, are good representations of what we want to see and that we want supported uh, from a like state legislative perspective the anti-incinerator bill that is how Minneapolis burns their trash, um, that is just like spearing toxins into low-income neighborhoods, which is a huge climate injustice. So we are really pushing our legislators to vote uh, for the anti-incinerator bill. And then uh, Yeah Network actually introduced a bill called the Climate Justice Education Bill last session. Um, and it's going to be reintroduced this session, and we really want more support on that too because it would make climate justice education mandatory in public and charter schools in Minnesota and that is something that um, as like youth we have really noticed a lack of in our own education so and we're really pushing for that to be seen. Uh, generally we just want our leaders and legislators to take action 
Um, so we're using specific demands to do that. And then in a national level, we are asking that our representatives, uh, Tina Smith and Amy Klobuchar, to pressure President Biden to stop Line 3 and to be supportive of the fight against Line 3 because that is such a big issue. Um, and right now we're really, there's a lot of focus on getting President Biden to pull the permits to get um, the pipeline stopped. What's it like being a youth leader in this field, doing this work and planning for a sit-in? It's really inspiring. I get to work with so many cool people that care so much about what they do and about our future. Um, it inspires me a lot and makes me feel more hopeful than I had before I was doing this kind of work. It can also be, it's definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone many times. Um, but I've had overall a really good experience and I'm so happy that I've met all the people I have met. Um, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something to make the world a little bit of a better place, um, which I think is really cool. So I've enjoyed my time doing things like this a lot. Are there other opportunities for, you know, for people to engage with this work in the future? Are there other events or activities that are being planned? Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of part of the goal of this student is to get people, like, to know about stuff like this. Um, an example of this would be if we can get people more involved with YAH Network. Every year, YAH Network holds um, a Youth Climate Justice Summit in the winter which is a great time for people to learn and talk to legislators about lots of climate-related things. Um, yeah, also is just working on a lot of stuff right now um, for our bill that we totally want people to get involved in. And then obviously the other organizations that will be there, I'm sure have events and things that they're working on. So hopefully this can be kind of a path to other things but great ways to get involved are I, a lot of uh, organizations will post a lot of things on their Instagrams or Twitter um, to keep people up to date. And that's been a really great way to keep people in the loop about events that are happening um, and events that will happen. Is there any other information you think people should know that I haven't asked you yet? Um, I would just <laughs> like to let them know that yeah, the September 24th from 1 to 4, we'll be there at the Capitol. And we're really looking forward to um, getting a lot of people there and connected. Um, yeah, and I just, I hope that it, it can help people get involved and can maybe make a difference getting legislators to take action. Can you remind us what the link is for people to find out more information and to get involved? Yes, of course. Um, so the Yeah Network Instagram is a great place. We've been posting a lot about this. Um, we also have our registration form linked in the bio. It's Y-E-A underscore climate is the like at um, the registration form, and then we're posting the link tree to all of our actions on that Instagram too. Um, so that would be where I would look for information. 
Um, we also have a blog post up on Climate Gen's website, uh, which I think is just like climategen.com. Um, and that also has the basic information about the event. Thanks to Libby for joining us on air. For those of you just tuning in, welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. We just heard from Libby, a youth organizer helping to organize a climate justice sit-in on the steps of the state capitol being held on September 24th. And up next, we're going to hear from uh, Nick Kaur, an organizer with the Coalition of Asian American Leaders of Minnesota, about the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, as well as the People's Movement Assembly, one of them being held soon. We're going to jump right in with Nick. My name is Nick Kaur. Um, I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm the senior manager of movement building at CAL, the Coalition of Asian American Leaders. Um, I'm an organizer and a coalition builder. I've spent the last 10 years of my life uh, organizing here in the Twin Cities on a variety of different issues from LGBTQ rights, racial justice, uh, the freedom to marry, a uh, number of political campaigns, um, and just for full disclosure, I'm also running for office right now in, uh, uh, in the city of Minneapolis for the uh, 7th Ward City Council uh, seat in Minneapolis. We're talking about a couple of things today, the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, and we're also talking about the People's Movement Assembly. Why don't we start with the incident last week with the hate, um, hateful messages that were graffitied, graffitied on the side of businesses in, in I believe, Frogtown. So essentially what had happened uh, last week, um, I don't remember the specific day, it was in the morning around 3 a.m. Um, there was a uh, uh, Asian businesses on University Avenue and Western Avenue in St. Paul, uh, also known as sort of like a little Mekong uh, area um, business district. Um, and there uh, were businesses that featured uh, murals uh, supporting Black Lives and honoring George Floyd. And so those murals were essentially uh, spray painted or paint was dumped over essentially um, these uh, murals and vandalized. Um, the words life, liberty, victory was, were also stenciled in uh, on, um, onto a window of the Monk Cultural Center Museum. And those words are uh, slogan associated with uh, a white supremacist organization. And so, you know, we are, of course, very angered uh, by this really blatant act of racism that against both Black and Asian lives. Um, and we are committed to really be continuing to end acts of hate and white supremacy in all of our communities and um, are, con are in communication uh, with sort of the business owners uh, in that location. Last week's incident, last week's horrible horrible incident and um, it falls on the, uh, you know, the heels of a, a year plus in a rise in hate crimes against Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. It's a rough moment to be Asian American in this country. Can you talk a little bit about what this, what this rise in hate crimes has meant and how people in the community are, are responding to all of this work, all of this hate? Yeah, I'll say that, um, you know, it's been a really difficult and trying time for a lot of us. Um, 
I think that people are recognizing sort of um, being able to really see what is happening. And, you know, white, you know, white nationalism is also on the rise, too. And so this is connected to a larger thing here. It's not just Asian Americans that are under attack. So like last week, Bethel Synagogue uh, was also there was a very, you know, realistic threat uh, at the synagogue. And so they had to close down. Um, and so this is, you know, this is in connection to a lot of um, a lot of uh, larger incidents around uh, around hate nationwide and here in Minnesota. I'll also say that hate against Asian Americans and racism against Asian Americans isn't something that's new. In fact, you know, something that Asian Americans have faced ever since we, uh, you know, immigrated here to the United States. Um, from the Chinese Exclusion Act to the incarceration of Japanese Americans to the uh, the um, surveillance of South Asians and Muslims after 9/11 to um, to the continued deportation of Southeast Asians today, like the reason that we see personal inter, interpersonal uh, hate and attack against Asian Americans is because we have had systems created in the United States that have been created to uh, exploit us and say that Asian Americans are not welcome here. Uh, and these systems continue to exist today. And so I want to make sure that as we're naming these individual acts of violence to name that specifically like it's connected to a larger systems within our government and within our country that tell Asian Americans that they are not welcome here. I think that's really important context, and I'm glad you brought it up because the, um, this, this, these hate crimes are not an accident. They're in many ways um, not just allowed by the system, but pushed by the system, um, the systems and the institutions that we live in to, to happen. Um, and I can't, um, th I think there's a lot to learn about what it, what it means to have to, to live within a system that does this. Um, what, how can people support community right now, whether it's the businesses and what kind of work are organizations like Cal doing right now to support the local, um, the local community as people try and have these conversations? Yeah, so I think there's a few things that folks can do right now is uh, specifically with this incident that happened at the Western University, the Monk Cultural Center and Museum, it, they are asking for donations. And so to help uh, fix their sign that was vandalized and to uh, help improve sort of some security measures. Um, so they are looking for some support in that way. Um, and Generally speaking, I think that we need to continue to be vigilant. And, like, if you see something, like, do something about it. You can't, like, just, like, stand there and ignore it. Like, there was an incident, I think this was in San Francisco, where a, and this was captured on camera, uh, where an elderly Asian woman was attacked and there were people on the street just watching it happen. And so, like, <laughs> you have to do something about it, right? Um, and... The other thing is that our institutions have to do better too, that we do not have our institutions, our governments and our 
businesses and our corporations do not have systems in place that can address anti-Asian hate um, and hate incidents and racism when the, when incidents do occur. It's very clear that they do not have systems to do this. And and so we at Cal are continuing to push governments to do better, to create more transparent systems, to create systems that are really rooted in care for people, to actually go out and ensure that people who, people, number one, feel safe in their communities, and number two, when an incident does occur, that they have the support that they need. Um, and that those systems do not exist right now. Um, and it's very clear that we do not have what we need to protect and support our communities in this moment. Uh, the thing you brought up, if you see something, say something, it was like it's challenging that really racist messaging from post 9-11. And I'm American when it was like, if you see something, say something, and just meant that every time somebody who looked, you know, Arab or was practicing Islam was, you know, got called on. And so I like the idea of kind of um, taking that framing and that messaging and, and you know, refurbishing it, reusing it for for the purposes of trying to stop white supremacy rather than trying right. to further it. Right. Um, is there anything else you want people to know about what happened last week or about the experience of being um, just like living in the system that you've talked about? Um, is there anything else? that you want to share that you think is really important for people to know? Um, I guess I'll just share this uh, this last piece, which is that, and it's kind of, I guess, connected to the, the direction that we're, the next item on, on what we're going to talk about, but like really thinking about how we need to th- think about safety beyond our current system as it is now. And our current system as it is now is policing and policing only. And we have to think about a new system that really allows us to have all the tools necessary to keep each other safe. We've, we know, even in these incidents, when people go to the police and say something happened, regard, you know, most people don't want to go to the police because most people do not trust the police to do anything about it because they typically don't. And because they don't, they're, not, they're, not a, they're not a trusted entity for communities. Um, and so most people don't often report incidents that occur. And, and and the police are right now the people that they're supposed to go to to report. And so we need new systems for us to really be able to even just report incidents and new places for people to report. We've advocated for community organizations to really be able to be those co-responders so that, so that people who have been attacked or have been in, impacted can actually go to trusted people that they trust, you know, communities or organizations that they trust to actually have these conversations to provide the support that they need so that they can report the data. That's the first thing. And and the other thing I'll say is that often when people report to the police, they don't do anything about it. So there are incidents where there were, you know, elders who had been ca- called names on the street and, um, and they went to the police about it and the police told them simply just not to go outside for a walk. And so that's just like, it's just simple things like that that just don't, it doesn't mean anything, right? And so in this incident at the Monk Cultural Center, you know, um, they reported it to the police, of course. Um, but, you know, there's still concern about whether or not they're going to do anything about it. That That is very troubling <laughs> to know that, like, or to think 
or to have to question whether or not when you're reporting something to the to the authorities who are supposed to keep you safe to wonder whether or not there's going to be any even an investigation of some to even question that shows that our systems do not have the structural support to meet the needs that are occurring on the ground right now. And so we really need to think differently about what it's going to take for us to build different levels of public safety within our city that are not just about policing, but about all these other things that can keep us safe in our neighborhoods. I'm glad that you brought that up, particularly in light of the people's movement assemblies that are being hosted across um, Minneapolis and St. Paul over the next um, month or so, as far as it might be longer, but I've seen some scheduled over the next month. Um, let's talk about what people's movement assemblies are and also how were these organized? Was it a collective group that brought all of these to the table or was it sort of, um, I mean, everything in organizing is strategic, but was this uh, strategic individually or strategic as a collective? <laughs> um, it was strategic as a collective and it was organized by Reclaim the Block and the Reclaim the, and all the partners who are a part of that coalition. Um, and so there are a number of people's movement assemblies occurring across across the city and Cal is a part of a different coalition called the Asian Minnesotan Alliance for Justice, which is a coalition of Asian Minnesotan organizations in Minnesota who are working to uh, really build uh, fight for justice and solidarity in Minnesota, really advancing both our Asian American uh, um, issues and then also fighting in solidarity with other communities. And so we organized this as a collective, as the Asian Minister Alliance for Justice. Um, it's going to be on October 2nd. Um, and uh, because we believe, like I said, that we need to have real conversations about safety within our communities. We need to have real conversations about what it looks like for us to keep each other safe, knowing that our communities are under attack and knowing that we need to build new systems because the ones that are in place aren't actually working. Thank you for that. So can you give us a little bit more detail on how a people's movement assembly operates? Like what happens when people get in the room? Are these a common organizing tool? And, and um, you know, what happened when Reclaim the Block started, you know, when you got approached about this? I mean, so I think the people's move, uh, the name people's movement assembly is just like is is kind of jargony. is It's just an event, right? It's just like it's just an event where we're bringing people together to talk about what keeps us safe. Um, that is essentially what it is. And so, like, the idea is that we would bring these these uh, what we're talking about talk about in terms of these new systems, continuing to bring that up uh, into a more collective vision. So each event has a vision that we continue to bring up to a larger uh, collective vision together. And so uh, so it's called the People's Movement Assembly um, simply because I think there's some history connected to that. But really, it's just like, it's really just like events where we get to vision envision together what a new system looks like and talk about our histories and talk about our experiences and what that means as we're trying to think about this new and, and, and plan out this new system. And so... And so I think um, potentially the the verbiage can be a little, you know, just like jargony, but uh, it, it's just an event where we're bringing people together to talk about, again, our experiences and our vision. 
So how can people register? You mentioned the date, October 2nd. How can people register, and which ones should they go to since there's a whole bunch of them being offered? Yeah, so ours is really going to focus on the Asian American experience. So if uh, if you are Asian American and you live in Minnesota or you live in the Twin Cities, um, and we would very much love for you to join us. Um, you can register on, uh, if you go to the Cal website, calmn.org, you can find our events there. Um, you can also find it on our Facebook page. Um, and uh, I believe, yes, the, both the registration links are on both pages. And they're also connected to our other our other partners uh, who are organizing this event as well. So it's on all of their, uh, it should be on all of their information. Thanks to Nick for joining us on air. For those of you just tuning in, this is the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadet. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Up next, for our last interview today, we're going to be talking with Denise Specht, the president of Education Minnesota, about education equity. We'll jump right in. Hi, my name is Denise Speck. I am president of Education Minnesota and a licensed elementary teacher. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Thank you for that. So Education Minnesota put out a joint statement yesterday. Why don't, or I should say, um, for those listening, they put it out on the 13th. Why don't we start with what that joint statement was and why it was released? Yeah, we put out a joint statement on equity, education equity with the other um, uh, typical education stakeholder groups. So we're talking about the school board association, uh, principals association, school administrators, um, you know, special educator um, groups. And we wanted to do two things. One is we wanted to stand together to support efforts for making schools safe, welcoming, and effective for all students. Um, we want students to know that we believe in providing an education that meets them where they're at and recognizes them who they, you know, recognizes who they are. But we also did it because we know that there are many teachers, principals, school superintendents, school board members, et cetera, who feel like they're under siege right now. Um, we want them to know that our organizations stand together um, and have their backs when it comes to making our schools safe, welcoming, and effective for all students. Um, I've seen several school board meetings that have become very tense, um, uh, you know, some angry people showing up, um, really uh, talking about uh, making sure that our schools only work for a few students and aren't open and welcoming for everyone. So those are the two reasons why we put that statement out. Why don't we talk more deeply about what education equity programming is? And you talked about supporting and expanding. So what that expansion means and how that would differ from what's being offered right now. Well, we want to make sure that there are programs and policies in place in our schools that meet students where they are. That means academically, emotionally, and physically, and that we're lifting them up so that every student has an excellent chance for academic success. Um, we want to make sure that no matter what students look like, where they're from, who they are, um, that they all see themselves in their school, they feel welcomed, um, and uh, they see themselves in what is being taught. 
you know, I, I've been paying attention to what's happening in school boards. My reporters at the uptake are going to those meetings and mm. trying to figure out what's going on. Um, we know that so much of what's happening right now is, has everything to do with um, white supremacy, racial injustice, systemic oppression, um, and this idea that schools shouldn't be a place for justice to come from. And mm-hmm. that people shouldn't, people should only be learning one history, right? The history of the winner. That's right. How do you, um, we didn't talk about this, but I'm curious to know what you as an educator, when you think about approaching equity in your own classroom, you know, when, well, I know that um, as being a union leader, you're probably not in the classroom right now, but when you, when you are, what do you think about? Well, I think about a couple of things. One is um, making sure that we, Celebrate and understand all cultures. I think that, you know, that provides us a wonderful foundation. And then we move into, um, you know, what you mentioned earlier, a, an honest education, a more complete education, and an education that um, prepares all of our students to live and lead in a more multiracial, multicultural Minnesota. I mean, I believe that an education that teaches a complete history is good for everyone. It's good for all students. Um, we find that so many times textbooks have left out certain events or um, you know, they skip certain points in our history. Um, and we know that when we skip points in our history or we just leave out things that have happened, we're leaving out um, many of our students were leaving out a big part of, of the story. And all of this really comes down to making sure that we are teaching students to be critical thinkers, that we can empower and educate all of them, um, because this is going to help them you know, in the future. It's going to make them better citizens, because they're going to inherit you know, a state, our state one day, and, and we want to make sure that they are as prepared as possible. Is there anything that you think people need to know about both equity programming, but just also education equity that maybe you don't get asked that often or that you don't think people understand? Well, I think that one one thing that people really don't understand is that education equity really means um, that it's really valuable to all students. I think that what people are hearing or maybe misunderstanding is that, um, you know, only certain children will, will benefit. Um, that when we are teaching in an equitable way that everybody benefits, all students benefit. Um, so I think that that's a big misconception. I think the other is that, um, when when we are teaching in an equitable way and when we are including all students, um, then I think that, you know, the community and our families um, trust our schools better. They, they trust um, our public education system. And I, I really just wonder, you know, why, why are people afraid of an honest education? Why are people afraid of teaching children how to think critically, um, why wouldn't we want that for everyone? 
I, d I just don't understand it. I think so many different things here. To be honest, yeah. my, when I think about this, my brain just sort of does the mouse on a wheel thing, just going through every possible answer. Um, but I am curious, just more um, maybe quantifiably, what is education equity programming? Um, can you speak a little bit more deeply on what that expansion would look like? I'm thinking about things like um, teacher of color, American Indian teacher, indigenous teacher trainings. I'm thinking about curriculum, but I'm wondering specifically what education Minnesota is when they talk about the extent of education equity work. Well, one thing is something that you just mentioned is making sure that the educators in our schools look like all of our children. Um, we all know that there definitely aren't enough uh, educators of color, and it's very important for all our children to have more educators of color in our public schools. Um, when, I, when I say that we want children to see themselves in, their, in the curriculum, um, we want to make sure that we see you know, their cultures, people who look like them, in all aspects of our curriculum. Um, and that means the books that are on our bookshelves, that means um, you know, historic events that, that we choose to teach um, because when, when students see themselves and um, are learning their history in school, not just at home, you know, where sometimes um, you know, families have had to teach certain historic events or teach about um, their family's history because, you know, it's being ignored in school. We have to make sure that that is, you know, being taught in, in our schools. And lastly, I would say that, you know, this, this goes beyond race. This is about gender. This is about, um, you know, where students are from, who they love. Um, we want to be creating spaces in our school um, where all students see themselves and feel welcomed and accepted. Um, we saw in 2016 where I think there was a, a drastic erosion um, of that from our schools when, when President Trump ran for office. I know that we saw a huge uptick in harassment and bullying in our schools. It became quite the norm rather than um, an exception or something that we were, you know, working to change. So, um, you know, we've got a lot on our plate there, but we, we have to work on that also. I want to thank Libby, Nick, and Denise for joining us on air. And I want to thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. Just a reminder that you can find us on Facebook, and we're also at journalismofcolor.com. For now, thank you for listening to this show, and we'll see you next time.